Well, we are turning to the Psalms today for just one week. We were in the Proverbs last week, a Psalm today, and then next week we'll go back to Genesis and God willing finish it up in late spring with the story of Joseph. So as we kind of pivot to the Psalms, we got to get ourselves kind of in, in Psalm mode. What are the Psalms? Why are they there? What do they do? Uh, the Psalms you may know were Israel's hymnal. You've got a hymnal there in the pews and the Psalms were their hymnal, 150 songs gathered together for them to sing. And what they do for us is they, they do tell us a bit of how to live and what to do and what to believe, but what they do uh, in great measure is tell us how to feel. Uh, they guide our hearts and our feelings. And so sometimes you might find yourself full of what we would call big feelings, and you might go to the Psalms and just find one that feels the way you feel, and it'll guide your heart and just how to feel that way in a godly way and just how to express those feelings up to the Lord in a way that is good. It'll give you words for what you're trying to say to the Lord in the cries of your heart. And in that way, though they do speak to us, sometimes in a grander sense, they speak for us and give us words to speak up to the Lord. Today's psalm guides our hearts uh, when it comes to something that I think almost everybody here loves, and that's to be gathered with God's people as we are right now. Uh, it, it speaks to something that I hear on Sunday mornings uh, that I just love. It's one of my favorite sounds. About five minutes before the prelude, uh, a lot of times I'll just sit in one of the pews or stand back there and close my eyes, and I could just hear you guys chattering. And it's not just like soft lobby talk. It starts like that, but then as the room fills, there is an energy that just says, oh, I haven't seen you all week. I'm so glad to be with these people. You can sense that spirit in this room. Uh, because many of us are just truly glad to see each other, to be gathered together as the people of God. That feeling that a lot of you have, uh, if that's a, a, a small ember this morning, I think this psalm, the Lord means to fan it into a flame. And if it's a, a full, healthy flame, I think the Lord means to pour gasoline on it and make it even bigger. He wants to stoke that love that we have for being gathered together. As we do that, I want to give you the context. When was it that they sang this psalm? Because that, that matters this morning. So you can see before the psalm begins, it says, a song of ascents. You can see those words there. Those same words are there on the next psalm. It is a song of ascents also. And about a dozen psalms before that say the same thing. This is one section of the psalms called the songs of ascent. And these were songs for going up specifically going up to Jerusalem for the, for the annual festivals. If you lived in Israel, no matter what direction you went to go to Jerusalem, you were going up to Jerusalem. That's, that's how they talked, is as if it were the biggest mountain in the world, we're always going up to it. And there were three times a year where the whole nation was called to gather together in Jerusalem for a great festival and feast. One of those was called the ingathering, or if you're reading about it in the laws, it'd be called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was a point where after the harvest, when all the hard work of the harvest was done and the barn was full of good things and you, you were exhausted, but you saw God's provision there in the barn and you're filled with thankfulness, uh, you would gather together portions of it and everyone would go up to Jerusalem and make an offering to the Lord. And with that would come a huge feast. I mean, we think Thanksgiving and Christmas are big feasts. Got nothing on what these folks did when they got together in Jerusalem. Food everywhere, fun and laughter everywhere. So you're still tired from the harvest, 
but you walk up to Jerusalem and you just sit and, and you feast and you say, oh, this is so good. And to understand what this psalm is doing, we got to kind of get our hearts there. You can imagine how tired you might be from that harvest. You have worked 16-hour days for the last two months, and you're tired. And then your family, your father, whoever says, all right, the work is done. Look at how the Lord has provided. And you just lay down on the barn floor, exhausted. And dad says, all right, time to go to Jerusalem. Let's have a feast. And now you're walking the road and you know that when you get there your relatives that you haven't seen in months or years will be there everyone will be there there will be food everywhere it's just an endless buffet of food and you're almost there and on the way people are singing songs and the crowd is singing songs and you've sung a dozen or so songs so far and then you sing this one I'll read it for you And when I'm done reading, I'll say the words of the Lord. And if you would respond with four words, may all flesh tremble. We'll revere the word of God together. Here's what the people around you are teaching you to sing. They sing, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded blessing, life forevermore. The words of the Lord, may all flesh tremble. Through that joy-filled song, the Spirit stokes the longing that is in our hearts to gather with his people in his presence. I wonder if you can already sense the heart of this psalm. It is just so good when we physically get together in the same building, when we are gathered. Oh, how good it is. And maybe you can connect with that weary pilgrim walking up to Jerusalem, knowing that we're tired from the harvest, we are tired from the labor, but the work is done, and the Lord is gathering us together to feast Really a fitting psalm for that drive to Sunday church, isn't it, right? The work of the week is done, and here we are, headed up to be with the people, and everyone will be together. Now, if you're feeling that, you get the point of the psalm. It's a really simple point. It's just so wonderful when God gathers his people together. Many details about it, but that's the point. That's the heart. Uh, I want you to know that in this first verse, when it says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity... Uh, That word for unity is translated most times in the scriptures as just together. Uh, This is actually the only place that ESV translates that as unity. Uh, So it's the word that's used, for instance, when Lot and Abraham, for a while, their camps dwell together in the same place. They dwell together. And then a few other times, people will sit down together to a feast. Uh, And you might even have a footnote in your Bible that at the bottom says, or together. Uh, And so there is a unity of heart being talked about here, uh, but very literally, it's when we are together, like when we have gathered together, especially considering the context that they are all headed to Jerusalem where everyone will be gathered together. Here we are united in heart. Here we are in the same room. Oh, and it's so good. Everyone's going to be there, and I can't wait until we get there. So the heart of it is that simple. It's simply when God gathers his people, he refreshes them with his presence and with new life. And as we look at it, we're going to make two big applications because for them, they had their feasts through the year. 
This is a big one, the ingathering feast. For us, we have one great religious festival the Lord's called us to, and that's the Lord's Day. Uh, That's Sunday. That's what we're doing right now. And then another great festival that's coming on the day of the Lord when he returns, the one we just sang about, right? We will feast on that day in the house of Zion. So here we are at what we might think of as the mini gathering, the preview of what is coming. And down the road when the Lord returns, every believer who has ever lived will, will be together. Uh, This is a pattern we see in the scriptures of the Lord's day, these gatherings. Uh, Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, and one of the first things he did was appear to his disciples. They were all gathered for fear of the Jews, and the Lord appeared to them there. So that's the beginning of it. They're gathered. The Lord appears with them. Uh, Then one of the gospels says on the eighth day, which would be a week later, the next Sunday, they're gathered again. And guess what Jesus does this time? He appears with them. So that's two Sundays in a row that they're gathered and he comes to be with them. Uh, Then he tells them as he is uh, ascending up into heaven, uh, wait in Jerusalem until the spirit comes upon you. And when he does, then begin the mission, taking the gospel to the world. Uh, And so they're all gathered and the book of Acts says that all the disciples were gathered in one place and the Lord's spirit was poured out upon them. We often miss what day of the week that was. It was a Sunday. It was the Lord's day that they were gathered and his spirit came to be with them. And then you see throughout the book of Acts on the first day of the week on Sunday, they gather together. They get in the same place. And when they do, the Lord is with them in a mighty way. This is Jesus fulfilling his promise. When two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And this promise is so powerful that even for John, who is in prison on an island at the very end of the Bible in Revelation, uh, he's imprisoned on the Lord's day, and he can't go and be with the gathering, but he wants to be there. He wishes he could be there, and the Lord appears to him and gives him the mighty vision that we know is Revelation. He does that on a Lord's day. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And so there is this pattern ever since then for now 2,000 years almost, the Lord's been gathering his people into local assemblies like this. And when we do, he says, there I am. I am present with them in a special way. In a way that's different from the way the Spirit dwells in you as a believer throughout the week. He is with us here now. That's the teaching the Word gives us on the Lord's Day. And if we can look at this festival in Psalm 133 and say they're, they're excited to gather together and be together because God will be with them when they do, we can take the same heart for these gatherings, can't we? How good it is. It's God that has gathered us this morning. And it's God who is with us this morning. And that is a sweet and profound thing to consider. The other big application is hope, looking forward. As we just sang, one day we will feast and weep no more, right? We've got Lord's Day after Lord's Day until the day of the Lord comes. And when he comes back, the teaching in 1 Thessalonians is that he will first raise from the dead every believer who has died in him. If you've got ancestors and loved ones who have died in the Lord, he'll raise them from the dead and gather them up in the sky to be with him. Now, that's incredible enough. Then after that, those of us who are here, if it happens right now, we will be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. And for the first time since Pentecost, every believer who has ever lived will be gathered together as one. Not only that, but we'll even be gathered together with the Old Testament saints and those before that that had their faith in Jesus. What an incredible thing. And when it's all said and done, we'll sit in God's house that'll be here on earth forever 
and we'll feast with him. We'll feast and weep no more. Yeah. Then we'll see that this was just a foretaste of that and, and how wonderful that will be. So I want to walk through the details in this psalm and apply them to those two moments. The Lord's Day that happens every Sunday and then the day of the Lord that is coming and how good and sweet they both are. Let's look at verse 2 first. So, so the point is in verse 1 and then verses 2 and 3 give us uh, each a picture that helps us understand how sweet this gathering is. First one says, Being together like this is like precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. That's probably a strange word picture for you, I'm guessing. Like, behold, it is like motor oil upon the eyeballs. I wonder if that's like what that feels to you. It is like butter in the nostrils. I don't know. But to them, it is a sweet and wonderful image. Uh, They were raised in this culture of of worship at the tabernacle and the temple. They knew what a high priest was. They knew who Aaron was. Aaron was the first high priest for the people of Israel. And so he had a very unique privilege. Uh, He got to go uh, once a year and be in the true presence of God in the Holy of Holies where God dwelt so powerfully that if you walked in and you weren't supposed to, it would kill you right there. He's that powerfully present there. Aaron could go once a year on the proper prescribed day and time. If he did it right, he could go in there and be with God and represent the people of God before him. And one of the reasons he could do this is because he had been anointed by the Spirit of God to do that. The Spirit of the Lord rested upon the high priest. And then he could go in and be with the Lord. The oil is a picture of that anointing of the Spirit that's given to him. So they would take this very expensive, sweet-smelling, precious oil, and they'd pour it upon the crown of Aaron's head, or whoever the high priest was, the crown on their head. And it would just run all over them, smelling so sweet that everyone in the room, if you're in the back of the room, you, oh, that smells good, right? That fray, I'm breathing that in, and it's all over him. And this is a sign that the Spirit of God has been poured out upon him. And what what a sweet thing that is. So if you could just imagine what it might feel like. I know this might make you shiver in your pew a little bit. But, you know, that oil just pours on your head. And it's dripping down your ears and off your earlobes and earrings. And your eyebrows kind of shield your eyes. But you wind up having to wipe your eyes anyway. And the abundance in the way it's pictured. I mean, it's going down the collar of his robes. It's all over your sweater. And you're, oh, I'm about to totally get new clothes after the time this is done. If you can feel that. Except it's not something that's going to ruin your clothes. It's a sweet-smelling, anointing fragrance. This is one of the pictures we get of what it is like to just be covered in the Spirit of God. To have the Spirit of God poured out upon you. And the teaching of the scriptures is that when we gather like this in Jesus' name, uh, that is precisely what he does for us. He pours out his spirit upon us. And we should be able to smell it even in the room and breathe it ourselves. There's something going on here. Outsiders should be walking in to this worship service and saying, I don't understand what's going on there, but, but something is going on there. Because the Spirit of the Lord is poured out upon these people, opening hearts to receive 
the word, filling us with joy even though we had sorrow through the whole week as we consider what the Lord has done for us and we sing to him, settling our hearts as we pray, filling us with reverence and moving us to rejoice at his mercy. When that happens throughout a room, it's like, it's like oil being poured out upon the whole room. This is the picture that the Lord's giving us here of this oil falling upon Aaron, covering upon Aaron. So this is why when we gather like this, our focus is on the Lord and his work. Because one of the ways he blesses and refreshes his people here is with his presence, him being here. And so we try to arrange everything where what you remember and what you walk away with isn't the style of the music or the, the joke that I told in the sermon. I mean, we'll have, our music has style. I might tell a joke now and then, but we don't want any of those things to take prominence over the work of God in this room. We want you walking away saying, I have met with the Lord. And so sometimes things feel a little more subtle than we might want them to feel. And that's because we want that anointing of the Spirit, that oil poured out on the room, covering the place and being the thing that we remember. This is why some of you are there at the Wednesday prayer meeting or you're there with us in Sunday school and you, you may have caught on to how often we pray that the Lord would fill this gathering with the Spirit and that the Lord would fill me with the Spirit when I preach. Why do we do that? Because one of the great blessings God refreshes us with when we gather is His Spirit being poured upon us. You can listen to a sermon in your car if you want to, and you can download whatever worship album you want to and just jam out and sing along to it. Most of the things here, except for baptism and the supper, you can get them individually just about anywhere you want to. But when the people of God are gathered, the fullness of the Spirit that is there, that's, that's, that's the secret sauce. That's the secret ingredient, the special stuff that the Lord is even gathered with us here. So, there's the image in verse 2, that oil running down Aaron is a symbol of the presence of God poured out upon us. Let's move to verse 3. Verse 3 is a different image and it has a different meaning. It says that when we're gathered, it is like the dew of Hermon, that's a mountain, which falls in the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So two mountains there, Mount Hermon and Mount Zion. Mount Zion is where they're going. That's the mountain Jerusalem is on. Mount Hermon is very far away from Mount Zion, but it is the tallest mountain peak in all of Israel, the only snow-capped mountain that they had, and the air there is very thick with moisture, like the Smoky Mountains are here. If there's a foggy day in the Smokies and you're walking around, you can see that moisture gathering on the tree leaves, and it starts to run down the trees, and the streams just start flowing so big. This mountain is a bit like that. That dew is gathering on the top of that mountain. The snow is already there, and then the snow starts to melt, and it creates these life-giving streams that flow down the mountain Water as cold as ice, and if you swam in that thing, it'd be a polar bear plunge, but it is giving life to the land around it and the land on the mountain. Can you picture? The river comes down, dry, thirsty land, drinks up the water, and then all of a sudden the grass sprouts and the flowers sprout, and the bees are there, and the deer are there, have come to eat, and the sheep are there to graze. There's life suddenly all over a place that used to be barren. This is the image that we're getting of that water flowing down that mountain, that dew flowing down the mountain. 
And the meaning of it we see in the very next pair of lines. There the Lord has commanded blessing. What's the blessing? Life forevermore. It's the life that those streams give. So they're basically saying it's as if that cold mountain stream of Mount Hermon were flowing here on our mountain of Zion. Now, the two mountains aren't even touching each other, but it's as if that water were here. That's the kind of life that the Lord gives us when we gather together. And so the meaning we pull out of that then is that one of the things he refreshes us with when, we, when he gathers us is, is new life, abundant life, even eternal life, as the psalm says, life forevermore. It's one of many things he pours out upon us as we gather together and as he gathers us together. That means that when you walk into church and you, you sit down with us, and first there's prayer, and then there's song, and then there's sermon, there should come a point, or maybe many points in the whole thing, when it just feels like a cold glass of water. If your soul comes thirsty, this gathering should feel like ice water to you. And when we stand together and sing in hope, we will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. Now, if we're doing that right and you're receiving that, well, that ought to feel like a glass of ice water. Uh, when, the, when the truth is preached from the word, if it's preached truly and preached with conviction and, and you receive that, that ought to feel like a glass of ice water to a thirsty soul. For some of us, it's the singing of the songs where this is most pointed. You can sing of how beautiful the gospel is, and it just revives and restores your soul. You can come in weeping and, and go out shouting because of what the Lord has done for you when you sing, now by this I'll overcome nothing but the blood of Jesus. And oftentimes it's because the, the true words of the Bible give life. The words of the wise give life, the Proverbs say. And so when we look at wisdom like we did last week, you know, wisdom about friendships, uh, if you receive that message, you receive that wisdom like the ground receives the water, and you put it into practice and are able to cherish the friendships that you have and you're able to live and, and be a better friend, you're going to find that your, your life will go better. The Lord's giving abundant life through the wisdom in His Word. And sometimes it's that we come with our hearts broken and the Lord mends them. And sometimes it's that we come in with, uh, I guess all of us this happened once, uh, with no faith in the gospel and we hear the preaching of the gospel and we receive it. And that's new life, isn't it? Just like the grass sprouting in the heart and the flowers and the bees, just all of a sudden new life in the heart. So every time that happens, it's, it's the dew running down the mountain and the ground receiving it. Now, like ground, you can choose to receive the water, or sometimes the ground is so hard that the water doesn't even go in and it just rolls on to the next place. Sometimes what is given from the pulpit isn't really life-giving water, but something else. But when the truth is proclaimed and when the truth is sung and we worship in spirit and truth and the open heart receives it, that's when it is like a glass of fresh ice water, giving new life. There are actually some studies that confirm this. We see this in real life. 
Uh, Gallup, by the way, does a, a poll uh, every so often, at least once a year, just to measure mental and psychological health in, in the country. Are people, people have good mental health right now? Is it bad? How did the pandemic affect things? Which groups of people are doing better and worse when it comes to mental health? And they've, they've parsed this thing out to every group you could imagine, income brackets and other demographics and things like that. Uh, and the group of people that has the, the second best mental health in the country is people that make more than $100,000 a year. So congratulations to both of you. Uh, you guys have great mental health. That's the second best group. The group that has the very best mental health, almost half of the people in this group report excellent mental health, is people who attend church regularly. The best psychological health in the whole country. Because being gathered with the people of God is that good for your soul. Even researchers and scientists are looking at it saying, what is going on with these people? They're thriving. This is so profound that we are the only group whose mental health improved during the pandemic, who saw an increase from 2019 to the end of 2020. Every other group by every measurement had a decrease and there was a sharp decrease overall, you know, because you were there and it was tough for us, right? But there is something about being gathered with the people of God that is just good for your soul. It really is like a glass of water to the soul. It's not a cure-all, it's not a fix-all. No, that comes when the Lord comes back and makes us fully and completely new. Uh, but it's good, and it's like a fresh glass of water. It is like dew of Hermon just running down this mountain to dry and thirsty souls. Now, if that feels refreshing to you, if you're hearing that and saying, I, I see the Lord doing that in my life, like that taste of that water, I want you to know that that is just a, a sip compared to what will come when the Lord returns. Right? If you're drinking that water right now and you're saying, this is good, I want you to know that when we win the Super Bowl, you're going to get the whole Gatorade thing just upon you, right? You're going to be covered in that life-giving water. This is what the Lord will give to us when he comes back. New hearts that no longer feel anxiety and no longer get depressed and no longer have all the other ailments that our hearts have. New bodies that are not made of dust like these bodies are, but are made of heavenly material that never perishes. Eternal life with God forever. We've got the Spirit here in this gathering. We will get the Son with us in the flesh in the new kingdom. And the words are going to be said, behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. So if we're getting new life in this gathering, and you're feeling that and tasting that, it's just a preview of what is to come when the Lord returns and revives his people. That is the point of the second image, the dew running down that mountain as if it were here on Mount Zion. So the big point altogether then is that when God gathers his people, he refreshes us with his presence and with new life. And as the Psalms often do, mostly it is just telling us what to feel, right? There's no commands about what to do in this one. They've already been told what to do. They've been told they need to go up to Jerusalem. But if our heart changes in that way, if, if we say in our hearts, behold how good it is when the Lord gathers us together, what is that new heart going to do differently? How, how would we live differently if we felt this in our hearts? 
Well, let me answer that first personally for each of us, and then we'll talk about what it means for us as a church as well. Uh, If our hearts really do cherish the Lord's Day's gatherings and the gathering that's coming on the day of the Lord, it's pretty easy to see how that would work out in real life. We would make being here a priority, right? And many of us have done just that. We're fully aware that we live in a very fallen world, many of us in fallen bodies, and often we can't come in. Um, But when we can, it's a priority to get here. Uh, Not because we sense guilt or compulsion or somebody's going to give me a funny look if I miss a week, uh, but because we're looking at a life where we're regularly gathered with God's people and we're saying, that's a better life. Uh, It might mean that one day you're evaluating two job offers. And one of them is $2 more an hour, and the other one, you get Sundays off so you can consistently be at gathered worship. And you're way in the two because, man, two bucks an hour multiplied over a year, that's a lot of money, and oh, being with God's people. And you might choose the job that pays less but frees you up on Sunday. Again, not because of compulsion or guilt, but because you're looking at it and saying, I think that's a better life. It's a better life when I can be gathered with God's people. Or it might mean that you're considering what you're going to do on vacation and you could take a a short weekend trip and go this far. Or you could take that trip over on Sunday too and go even farther where where you really want to go. And man, that'd be really relaxing, but we'd miss church if we did that. Uh, And you're looking at that choice. Do we go as far as we really want to go for that trip? Or do we get back in time to, to be with God's people? And if you've got that love in your heart that says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, you might actually take the shorter vacation because you're saying to yourself, this is a better life. It's better to be gathered with God's people than to be out in the woods near a waterfall, as great as that is. See, when the hearts change, the priorities change as well. A uh, a fun story about that. A friend of mine is a physical therapist, and uh, he's a traveling physical therapist. So the people that he sees, uh, they can't come into the office to be seen, so he goes to them, which means most of them are homebound folks, people that can't leave their home for one reason or another. And so in the first conversation, he'll always ask them, uh, what are your goals? Like, what do you want to be able to do? And some will say, I'd really love to be able to get on the floor and play with my grandkids and get up again. Some of you know you get to an age and that's, that's a goal, right, to be able to do that. Um, and others will, I mean, some are in a state where they're laying in a bed and they're saying, I would really like to be able to sit up to eat, right? I'd really like to be able to garden again, but I can't reach up like this, is what they'll say. And, and so he's visiting one woman, and uh, she's in this kind of state, and he asks her, what are your goals? What would you like to be able to do? And she says, well, I'd really like to be able to get a coat on and, and drive. And he said, oh, okay, why do you want to do that? And she said, well, I really want to go to church. Like, that's her life goal. I want to be able to go to church again. And he's a believer, so his heart was just like, Oh, yes. All right. We will do this. Yes. Let's do it. So he wrote a whole routine for her. She did this whole, I don't even know what it is that he had her doing. Uh, And he's got her working and working and working. And in a few weeks time, she's back in her home church. When a heart has this sense of priority, like verse one, how good it is when brothers dwell together. That's the kind of thing you tell your physical therapist, right? I would really love to be back in church again. 
So that's one way that things will change in our hearts. The Lord moves us to just want to be back in church together or to be in church together in the first place. It's a priority in our lives. It means something for us too as a church as well. As we are making decisions together, and it's kind of a a new world out there. We're trying to figure out how to get by in it in a way that's consistent with the Word of God. And people are asking a lot of questions like, uh, hey, do you guys have a worship service on Saturdays? Uh, Or, hey, when the building is full, are you guys going to split into like two or three worship services on Sundays? Or the new thing now is that we all figured out how to live stream our worship services during COVID. So it's, are you going to keep doing that? Do you you live stream your worship services? And those questions will always be changing and the factors in them will always be changing. So we can't always predict everything, but we can say this, getting everybody physically together in one gathering on Sunday morning is always going to be the priority, right? Because we would love to have three gatherings and more people be able to come because there's more time. Uh, but, But we believe the sweetness comes when we are all gathered together. And so one gathering is going to stay a priority for us. Uh, it means when it comes to something like live streaming a worship service, uh, we, we consider what church is. The word church literally just means gathering or, or assembly. Uh, and we remember, some of us remember what it was like to, to watch it on the computer screen or the TV on Sunday morning. Uh, almost all of you said the same thing to me. It's just not the same, right? Um, and when we look at a psalm like this, how good it is when brothers are are gathered together, when we dwell together, we start to see why it didn't feel the same, right? It wasn't the same. We weren't together, and that's the point of what we do. So for us, the decision right now to whether to do something like that, uh, we'd almost draw an analogy of trying to live stream a birthday party. Imagine if you were watching a birthday party on live stream, and they're, they're eating cake, it just doesn't work, does it, right? And so this is how we view the, the same thing. If the sweetness is about being gathered together, yeah, there are things we can do to care for the people that can't come. But the last thing we want to do is give a feeling like I sat down and went to church when you didn't really go to church. So we'll package up the sermon and send it to you. We'll, we'll have deacons or me bring the Lord's Supper to you. We'll bring the elements of it as we can package them and send them to people. Uh, but what we don't want to do is give someone the mistaken impression that church is different from what it is. If you sit down and you watch a service on TV, you may have gotten something good out of it, but you didn't go to church because church is a physical gathering. And we take seriously words like these ones, how good it is when brothers dwell in unity. You'd probably do the same thing with a birthday party too. Uh, Come to think of it, uh, my parents are almost never able to come to my kids' birthdays. Uh, And so what we do is we don't live stream the whole thing because that would get boring, but we do video that great moment when everyone sings happy birthday and the candles get blown out. And then we hit stop and we send it to the grandparents, to the people who couldn't be there. And they just gush with happiness and they say, oh, that's so sweet. I wish I were there, right? And effectively, we do the same thing for the people that can't come here. We'll, we'll, we'll make a recording of the sermon. We might video it if the Lord gives us the ability. We'll send that to people. And they say, oh, that's so sweet. Uh, I wish that I could be there. And I think that puts us in just the right place. We still get the word, but we're still filled with our hearts with a desire that says, I wish we could be there. 
The big difference here probably is that most of the country, I think right now, views worship as, as content we can consume. And so, of course, it makes sense to put that content on the internet and then someone can consume it. And for the content, I suppose that does make sense. But this psalm teaches us that a worship service is not primarily content. A worship service is a gathering. And so it's more like a birthday party than it is like a movie. And so we treat it more like a birthday party than it is like a movie. I hope all that makes sense and helps give you a little bit of guidance as to how we plan to handle questions like that. Gathering together on Lord's Day, always going to be a priority to us. Because the good news here is that the gospel doesn't just give us good content. It does give us good content, but it gives us something better than that. It it gives us a people to be a part of, a people to gather with, and even in our case, a place to call our own. That's a sweet picture of what's coming our way when we get to gather with all of the people of God, and we dwell on the mountain of God even forevermore. If you are with us today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I hope that all of this has just put one thing in your heart, and I hope it just has your heart saying, I want that. I want a people who can be mine. We we can all look back to that day in the lunchroom in high school or middle school uh, where you, you get your tray and you got your lunch and you look around that first day and there are all these tables and gatherings and none of them are yours yet. You don't have a table, a people that's yours that you go to sit with yet. And it's one of the most nerve-wracking moments for a student's life. I don't yet have a people. And then maybe a moment comes where some people, you know, hey, why don't you come sit with us? And then you sit down, ah, now I've got a people, right? Now I've got a place I can sit, right? And this is what the good news of the gospel gives to people. A people like this one here, a table like this one at the lunchroom that says, hey, why don't you come be ours? Why don't you come and sit with us and dwell with us? And so I want you to know if you're considering Jesus and would come to him, you get a community with him by default. Never again do you have to look around and wonder where to go or where to sit. Because by default, no matter what you have in common with us or not, We call you our own, because everyone who comes to Jesus finds a family and a community here. So I hope that shows you just a little bit of how good he is, and even moves you to, through his death and resurrection, to find forgiveness for your sins and come and be totally his. Uh, Let's pray together, and let's just ask the Lord to press that into folks' hearts this morning.